Section 35 of Reviews by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Rose. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 35. A Jolly Art Critic. Palmell Gazette, November 18, 1886. There is a healthy bank-holiday atmosphere about this book which is extremely pleasant. Mr. Quilter is entirely free from affectation of any kind. He rollicks through art with the recklessness of the tourist and describes his beauties with the enthusiasm of the auctioneer. To many, no doubt, he will seem to be somewhat blatant and bumptious, but we prefer to regard him as being simply British. Mr. Quilter is the apostle of the middle classes, and we are glad to welcome his gospel. After listening so long to the Don Quixote of art, to listen once to Sancho Panza is both salutary and refreshing. As for his sententiae, they differ very widely in character and subject. Some of them are ethical, such as, Humility may be carried too far, some literary, as, for one fraud, there are a thousand Mrs. Markhams, and some scientific, as, objects which are near display more detail than those which are further off. Some, again, breathe a fine spirit of optimism, as, picturesqueness is the birthright of the bargee. Others are jubilant, as, paint firm and be jolly and many are purely autobiographical, such as number 97. Few of us understand what it is that we mean by art. Nor is Mr. Quilter's manner less interesting than his matter. He tells us that at this festive season of the year, with Christmas and roast beef looming before us, similes drawn from eating and its results occur most readily to the mind. So he announces that, subject is the diet of painting, that perspective is the bread of art, and that beauty is in some way like jam. Drawings, he points out, are not made by recipes like puddings, nor is art composed of suet, raisins, and candied peel, though Mr. Cecil Lawson's landscapes do smack of indigestion. Occasionally, it is true, he makes daring excursions into other realms of fancy, as when he says that, in the best Reynolds landscapes, one seems to smell the sawdust, or that advance in art is of a kangaroo character. But, on the whole, he is happiest in his eating similes, and the secret of his style is evidently la métaphore viande en mangeant. About artists and their work, Mr. Quilter has, of course, a great deal to say. Sculpture he regards as painting's poor relation. So, with the exception of a jaunty allusion to the rough modeling of Tanagra figurines, he hardly refers at all to the plastic arts, but on painters he writes with much vigor and joviality. Holbein's wonderful court portraits naturally do not give him much pleasure. In fact, he compares them, as works of art, to the sham series of Scottish kings at Holyrood. 
But Doré, he tells us, had a wider imaginative range in all subjects where the gloomy and the terrible played leading parts than probably any artist who ever lived, and may be called the Carlyle of artists. In Gainsborough, he sees a plainness almost amounting to brutality, while vulgarity and snobbishness are the chief qualities he finds in Sir Joshua Reynolds. He has grave doubts whether Sir Frederick Leighton's work is really Greek after all, and can discover in it but little of rocky Ithaca. Mr. Pointer, however, is a cart-horse compared to the President, and Frederick Walker was a dull Greek because he had no sympathy with poetry. Linnell's pictures are a sort of up-guards and Adam paintings, and Mason's exquisite idylls are as national as a jingo poem. Mr. Burkett Foster's landscapes smile at one much in the same way that Mr. Carker used to flash his teeth, and Mr. John Collier gives his sitter a cheerful slap on the back, before he says, like a shampooer in a Turkish bath, Next man! Mr. Herkimer's art is, if not a catch-penny art, at all events a catch-many-pounds art, and Mr. W. B. Richmond is a clever trifler, who might do really good work if he would employ his time in learning to paint. It is obviously unnecessary for us to point out how luminous these criticisms are, how delicate in expression. The remarks on Sir Joshua Reynolds alone exemplify the truth of sentencia number 19. From a picture we gain but little more than we bring. On the general principles of art, Mr. Quilter writes with equal lucidity that there is a difference between color and colors, that an artist, be he portrait painter or dramatist, always reveals himself in his manner are ideas that can hardly be said to occur to him. But Mr. Quilter really does his best and bravely faces every difficulty in modern art, with the exception of Mr. Whistler. Painting, he tells us, is of a different quality to mathematics, and finish in art is adding more fact. Portrait painting is a bad pursuit for an emotional artist, as it destroys his personality and his sympathy. However, even for the emotional artist there is hope, as a portrait can be converted into a picture by adding to the likeness of the sitter some dramatic interest or some picturesque adjunct. As for etchings, they are of two kinds, British and foreign. The latter fail in propriety. Yet, really fine etching is as free and easy as is the chat between old chums at midnight over a smoking-room fire. Consonant with these rollicking views of art is Mr. Quilter's healthy admiration for the three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow. Anyone, he points out, can paint in good tone who paints only in black and white, and the great sign of a good decorator is his capability of doing without neutral tints. Indeed, on decoration, Mr. Quilter is almost eloquent. He laments most bitterly the divorce that has been made between decorative art and what we usually call pictures, 
makes a customary appeal to the Last Judgment and reminds us that in the great days of art, Michelangelo was the furnishing upholsterer. With the present tendencies of decorative art in England, Mr. Quilter, consequently, has but little sympathy, and he makes a gallant appeal to the British householder to stand no more nonsense. Let the honest fellow, he says, on his return from his counting-house, tear down the Persian hangings, put a chop on the Anatolian plate, make some toddy in the Venetian glass, and carry his wife off to the National Gallery to look at our own Mulrady. And then the picture he draws of the ideal home, where everything, though ugly, is hallowed by domestic memories, and where beauty appeals not to the heartless eye, but the family affections. Baby's chair there, and the mother's work-basket near the fire, and the ornaments Fred brought home from India on the mantel-board. It is really impossible not to be touched by so charming a description. How valuable also in connection with house decoration is sentention number 351. There is nothing furnishes a room like a bookcase, and plenty of books in it. How cultivated the mind that thus raises literature to the position of upholstery, and puts thought on a level with the antimacassar. And finally, for the young workers in art, Mr. Quilter has loud words of encouragement. With a sympathy that is absolutely reckless of grammar, he knows from experience what an amount of study and mental strain are involved in painting a bad picture honestly. He exhorts them, sententient number 267, to go on quite bravely and sincerely making miss after miss from nature, and while sternly warning them that there is something wrong if they do not feel washed out after each drawing, he still urges them to put a new piece of goods in the window every morning. In fact, he is quite severe on Mr. Ruskin for not recognizing that a picture should denote the frailty of man, and remarks with pleasing courtesy and felicitous grace that many phases of feeling are as much a dead letter to this great art teacher as Sanskrit to an Islington cabman. Nor is Mr. Quilter one of those who fails to practice what he preaches. Far from it. He goes on quite bravely and sincerely making mess after mess from literature, and misquotes Shakespeare, Wordsworth, Alfred de Musset, Mr. Matthew Arnold, Mr. Swinburne, and Mr. Fitzgerald's Rubaiyat, in strict accordance with sentention number 251, which tells us that work must be abominable if it is ever going to be good. Only, unfortunately, his own work never does get good. Not content with his misquotations, he misspells the names of such well-known painters as Maddox Brown, Bastien Lepage, and Messonnier, hesitates between Angre and Angres, talks of Mr. Millet and Mr. Linton, alludes to Mr. Frank Hall simply as Hall, speaks with easy familiarity of Mr. Burne Jones as Jones, and writes of the artist whom he calls Old Chrome, with an affection that reminds us of Mr. Tolliver's love for Jeremy Taylor. On the whole, 
the book will not do. We fully admit that it is extremely amusing, and, no doubt, Mr. Quilter is quite earnest in his endeavors to elevate art to the dignity of manual labor, but the extraordinary vulgarity of the style alone will always be sufficient to prevent these sententiae artists from being anything more than curiosities of literature. Mr. Quilter has missed his chance, for he has failed even to make himself the tupper of painting. Sententiae Artists First Principles of Art for Painters and Picture Lovers by Harry Quilter, M.A. Isbister A reply to this review appeared on November 23. End of Section 35 A Jolly Art Critic